Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. I was uh, sharing this morning that um, often you can see the importance and the power of a thing by what happens when it's absent. And um, some of the greatest devastation in society comes, in, in fact, I, I, it's probably fair to say much of the greatest devastation in society comes from uh, when fathers are absent. And I remember I heard a, a stat uh, a while ago that, that really, you know, in one sense surprised me that it was so high, but in, in another sense when I thought about it, I thought, yeah, you know, that's almost to be expected. Um, I heard that there's a very, very high correlation between especially young men in prisons and not, them not having fathers. Um, apparently it's, you know, I can't remember the exact statistic, but it's, you know, something like 80% or something in that ballpark, which is massive. Um, one of the highest correlations uh, with, with juvenile offenders and, and just young, young offenders, young men in, in prison. And it's it just shows you the devastation that can come into a life when, there's, when a father is absent. Almost uh, the vast majority of those guys in prison either had fathers that um, or either didn't have fathers or had fathers that were absent or had fathers that were abusive. And it just, it just um, you know, skews their lives. And, and I was listening to a, um, I was saying this morning, I, um, you know, I've always been quite big on interpreting scripture, but I also realized more and more that I've got to interpret the culture. Because <laughs> you've got to apply scripture to the culture. You've got to apply scripture to your context. And so, um, you know, I've, I've been listening to, making a point of it, to also listen to or read books that sort of give me a, a sort of a, a, a view into the culture. So recently I, I downloaded an audio book by Trevor Noah called Born a Crime. And uh, you know Trevor Noah, the, the comedian guy uh, who's on, on American TV nowadays? Um, and um, he's, he's very perceptive, you know, and, and he tells in this book, he tells about his childhood growing up in South Africa, especially under apartheid South Africa. And, you know, as I was listening to it, some of the things, you know, just a lot of the things I knew, but a lot of things also really shocked me, you know, at, um, you know, how, how intense it was and how, how, how bad it really was. And, um, you know, I, th- I think it's, it, it's, it's the kind of book that, you know, um, white guys like me need to listen to just to sort of really get a picture of what it was like. Uh, so, so I'm really enjoying it. But, but one of the things he said, and, and when he said it, I realized it's so true, was that um, one of the biggest, I almost want to say, the, the biggest damage that, that apartheid did was it created a fatherless generation. Because um, black fathers had to work in mines or in farms or wherever else, away from home. And, and, and because of the segregation, the work was, you know, where... You know, where the cities were, where the, where the money was. But that's not where the black people were allowed to live. You know, they were segregated. They had uh, little uh, places, you know, 13% of South Africa's, you know, land where they could live. Uh, but the jobs were all in the cities. So they had to move away from their families and come and find work in the cities and left their children basically fatherless. And they'd come back maybe during the holidays. And that's one of the great tragedies of apartheid, that it created a fatherless generation. And... Um, you know, fatherlessness, one of, one of the 
big challenges of it, it's, it's, it's in a sense like a fire. You know, once it gets started, it just goes. It's self-perpetuating. Fatherless children, fatherless boys don't know how to become fathers themselves. And if something doesn't happen and God doesn't intervene, their children end up being fatherless as well. Or worse, being abused by their father. And, um, you know, I was just thinking about, in, in light of that, you know, when, when you see if there's that much devastation when fathering is absent, then it tells you a little bit about the power of fathering, doesn't it? Um, it's a big responsibility. This morning, my uh, children came into the room, being Father's Day and all, and they made little cards for me. And um, Justin drew me a little picture, you know, of, of me with a... Um, with a mask on and a cape. <laughs> and he wrote, my dad, the hero. <laughs> I thought I must, I must frame it or something and remember it, you know. So one day when he's a teenager, you know, <laughs> he doesn't necessarily, you know, feel that way all the time. You know, I can remind myself, you know, that he once saw me as a hero. But I, but I was thinking, you know, it's, uh, it's almost like that, you know. Fa- fatherhood, in a sense, is a superpower, Okay, But remember what Spider-Man said, with great power comes great responsibility, you see? <laughs> the arch-villains are also superheroes. They also have great power, but they use it destructively. And there are so many fathers who use their fathering superpower very destructively. You can use that great power of fatherhood for great good, or you can use it for great destruction. And there are so many fathers who instead of blessing their children and really imparting something special to them that really carries them into life, that gives them advantage in life, they actually end up using that power to abuse their children. And instead of imparting blessing, they impart a curse and give their children a distinct disadvantage in life. And many of you might be walking around with those scars. And, 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 and we know that that the scars that are inflicted in that way are, are more painful. They, they last longer. And then also I just want to mention that um, a big part of what I want to say tonight, uh, I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 3, and it, it's, it, Paul says, I bow my knee to the Father. Um, God is the Father. I am a Father. But, but God is the Father. There's only one of whom it can say, be said that he's the Father. And that is God. In other words, God is the Father, and every other Father derives who he is, what he is, from God. And our, our, our job as fathers is, on the one hand, to reflect God, to reflect the Heavenly Father, to show a bit of who He is, but also, in the, especially in the areas where we cannot do that because of our human limitations, to point beyond ourselves to the Father and say, well, to the extent I cannot father you, I can only point you to the one who can, to the Father. And, 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 and that's what we're supposed to do as, as fathers. A big part of what we're supposed to do as fathers is reflect and point to the Father. Now, I just also want to mention, remember who wrote this? It was the Apostle Paul. 
Was he a father? As far as we know, he wasn't married. He didn't have children. He was never a biological father. Um, but then again, he was a father. And why I mention that is, you know, I don't want you, if you don't have children, you know, to sort of switch off and say, well, this you know, sermon's not relevant to me. Um, it doesn't matter who you are. To some extent, we all have to reflect the Father. We all have to learn from Him and become more like Him. And, and whether you have ch- children like me or whether you don't have children like Paul or whether you're a mother, you know, you can learn from who God is and reflect something of, of who He is. So this is for everyone. Uh, let's just read from, I'm reading from the ESV, uh, English Standard Version. Let's read from Ephesians 3. I'm going to read from verse 14 to the end of the chapter. It says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father. Notice, the Father. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Yes, Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, that you are the Father. Lord, and that on this Father's Day we can just come to you, the original, where the idea, where the concept of fathering comes from, the one um, who started it all, and that we can come and learn from you what fathering is. That as fathers, as earthly fathers, we can come and learn what we are, what we're supposed to be. Lord, as as children, as human beings, we can come and learn what we most need. And we pray, Lord, through your Spirit and through your Word that you'll give us a revelation of your Father heart. Give us an experience of you, who you are as Father in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, just a few points um, on fathering. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to look at this text. I'm not going to you know, try and cover everything in the text, but I, I want to look at it from the angle of fathering. Um, so a lot of what I'm going to share is just sort of implicit uh, in the text. Uh, and the, the main thing that I want to say is that good fathers reflect and point to the Father, God the Father. I, I, w- I was very tempted. Cara Andrew, who led the worship's wife, Cara, she sort of jokingly said, I must call my sermon the Godfather. <laughs> I was very tempted because it's a nice, catchy, you know, <laughs> name. But then I, then I realized, um, you know, the Godfather, Mafia, you know. It's, uh, it, it, it's more the devil who's like the Mafia, you know. <laughs> they have the Godfather, we have Father God. <laughs> okay, so I rather called it Experiencing the Father. So a few things that, that this shows us about our Heavenly Father and about what we should be like as earthly fathers is, firstly, uh, good fathers reflect and point to the Father by imparting identity. Notice it says here, um, I bow my knee to the Father 
um, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. Fathers give names. And we've lost some of the significance of naming in our modern Western culture, but some of it has been retained. Um, and certainly in, in Paul's time and in Jesus' time, names were more important. Names actually meant something. You know, a while back we spoke about uh, Elijah and um, how Elijah means uh, Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. And that was the bulk of his message. His message was just that Baal is not God, Yahweh is God. You know, Jesus' name um, means um, Yahweh is salvation. You know, Paul's name was first Saul. Saul means great. Paul means little. And as he moved from being great in his own eyes, just like a certain king from the same tribe as him, <laughs> after whom he was named, <laughs> you know, as he humbled himself, God lifted him up. Names were significant uh, in, in, in Bible times. And then if you go and read the Gospel of Luke, right at the beginning of Luke, you, you see a, um, a sort of uh, section dealing with John the Baptist and his father, Zechariah, uh, receiving the word that his wife, and both of them were quite old, past childbearing age, uh, is going to become pregnant. And he didn't believe the angel, and the angel struck him dumb. And then that, the child, John the Baptist, was born, and they said, uh, okay, we're going to name him, you know, when the child was to be circumcised, you know, on the eighth day. He said, we're going to name him Zacharias. And Zacharias says, no, you know, we well, just sh- shook his head. Obviously, he, was, he, he couldn't speak. He was struck dumb. So they gave him a tablet, and he wrote on, uh, on it. When they asked, you know, what's his name going to be? He wrote, his name is John. And they said, but no one in your family is named that, you know. And he just insisted, his name is John. Um, and, and fathers were the ones, you know, even in that situation where the father couldn't speak, the father was the one who was supposed to name the child. In other words, fathers impart identity. Fathers are the ones that, that uh, primarily, not exclusively, but primarily reveal to children who they are, who impart identity, who give a sense of identity uh, to children. Um, You see, Simon Peter, when, when Jesus speaks to him, he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to me, but my, my Father who is in heaven. In other words, Simon Barjona. Barjona means son of Jonah. Okay? So in, in those days, your identity was your name plus your father's name. Your name plus the one from whom you came who imparted identity to you. I mean, even if you think about Jesus, in Luke chapter 3, he gets baptized, goes under the water, comes up, the Holy Spirit comes down upon him in bodily form like a dove, and it's like the Father's so excited. He tears open the heavens and he sticks his head through, metaphorically speaking, and he says, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus was just perfect. He never sinned. He had no brokenness. He had no sin. He was the God-man. He was divine. He was perfect. And he needed the Father to say, to affirm his identity and say, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, if Jesus needed that, how much more do we who are imperfect need the Father to say that to us? You are my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. Even if you think about it, we've discovered genetically that is true. Isn't it so? Women have two X chromosomes that they contribute to children. So the 
the child, whatever, when a baby is born, conception happens, uh, one chromosome from the mom and one chromosome from the dad come together. So women only have two X chromosomes, so they can contribute an X chromosome to a child. The dad is, has an X and a Y chromosome, so the dad is the one that contributes either the X chromosome that makes the child a daughter or the Y chromosome that makes the child a boy. So even genetically, dads determine the gender identity of their children. God has written it into our very DNA that fathers impart identity. That's one of the great things that fathers do. That's one of the great powers that we have as fathers, that, that we can impart and affirm identity. And that's why there are so many confused people walking around today who don't, who don't know who they are with all kinds of, uh, you know, uh, identity crises and, and, and even in terms of gender identity, being confused, not knowing who they are. In fact, sometimes not even wanting to be who they are because they've never had a father who affirmed who they are and said, but who you are is good. Who you are is blessed. I love who you are. You are my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. So that tells us a, a few things. That tells us, number one, that as fathers, we need to do that. And, and, and when I say fathers, I mean biological fathers and spiritual fathers. If you make disciples, in a sense, you're fathering people. And what we need to do is take that, that power, that superpower of imparting identity and affirming identity, and we need to use it as a blessing. With great power comes great responsibility, you know. And we need to really affirm um, to use that power to affirm people. And another thing um, that fathers do, good fathers do, in reflection um, of the father is to prioritize the inner being, to prioritize the inner life. Notice what is conspicuously absent from Paul's prayer. And not only from this prayer. I mean, Paul has a whole lot of different prayers in his different letters. And not in one of them does he mention external circumstances. Not in one of them does he pray for external circumstances to change. Not in a single one of them. And he writes letters to the Philippians who are being persecuted. He writes letters to, to all kinds of churches who, who are under extreme difficulty. And he never, ever prays for their circumstances to change. What does he pray for? Always the same thing. His prayer is focused on the inner life. May he be strengthened with might in your inner being. In other words, in this prayer, inspired by the Father, Father God, and coming through Paul as a great spiritual father, we see what should be the priority of all fathers. Not outward circumstances. Not the outward life, but the inner life, the inner being. Because, here's the thing, if, 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 if inwardly, in your inner being, you are broken, you are unhealthy, you are dysfunctional, you are weak, then it doesn't matter whether the outside world, whether it's going well or whether it's going badly. You always go out into life in weakness, in brokenness, in dysfunction. But, on the other hand, if inwardly, you are strong. If your inner being is strengthened, if your inner being is healthy, then it doesn't matter whether your external circumstances are favorable or unfavorable, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. You always go into it with strength, with fortitude. In other words, 
The point is that good fathers, like the father, are focused on the inner being and on growth and change from the inside out, not from the outside in. Because that's the only way lasting change happens. So often as, as parents, you know, biological parents, we are tempted to want to regulate and fix our children's in external environment and make it externally comfortable for them. More than we are concerned about their character and them being strengthened in their inner being. And if we do that, we, are not have, we do, do not have the same priorities that Paul had, and we don't have the same priorities the Father has. I love the way John Andrews talks about this. He talks about your environment on the outside and your environment on the inside. And if your environment is healthy and strong, it'll spill over into your environment. And eventually that'll follow suit. But if your environment is weak, that'll eventually fall, spill over into your environment. And it'll also become weak and dysfunctional. The inside determines the outside. The inside precedes the outside. In fact, the inside determines the outside. And that's why you have so many children who have everything going for them in life. They have parents that are rich, they have the best education, they have all the opportunities, you can name it, you know. But they end up with terrible lives. All their relationships fall apart, they become drug addicts, they, they, they just, their life doesn't work. It's because their environment is great, but their environment sucks. There's no strength. Good fathers will build strength into the environment, into the inner being as a priority. Um, then also, uh, good fathers um, constantly want to help their children experience what they have. Another thing that sort of strikes me of, of this passage is, I mean, let me just read, read a portion of it. It says, um, uh, for this reason I buy my father, uh, my, my niece to the father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to his riches and glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power, but through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, uh, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints the supernatural dimensions of the love of Christ. Now, hang on. Don't we already? He's, he's writing to Christians here, right? And if go and read chapter 1 of Ephesians. In chapter 1, he says, they have the spirit. They are in Christ. Christ is in them. He already says all those things. So my point is, he's praying here for them to have things that they already have. I mean, Romans 8 verse, verse, verse 9 says, if someone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to Christ. So by definition, if you are a Christian, or unless you have the Spirit inside of you, you're not a Christian. You're only a Christian if Christ does live in your heart, dwell in your heart through faith. So what do we make of this, you know? He's praying for things that, for Christians, that Christians already have, by definition. And the only answer I, I can give is that there's a difference between having something legally, it legally being yours, and you experiencing it. And there are so many Christians 
And we know this because it's true of all of us. We don't experience nearly everything that is rightfully ours, our inheritance. And good fathers won't stand for that. The heavenly father won't stand for that. He says, I want you to experience all that I have for you. Your full inheritance. It's one thing to be told, say by your father, here is a pot of honey. It's really sweet. It's really delicious. It's yours. It's another thing opening that pot and tasting it and tasting how sweet it is. I mean, other people, your dad can tell you, this is really sweet. It's really very, it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's an amazing taste. And he can try and describe it in all kinds of different ways. But it's not the same as actually tasting it. Someone can pay $10 million into your bank account. But if you never draw the money and use it, <laughs> it's legally yours, but you're not experiencing it. And they're so, well, <laughs> we have more than $10 million in the bank. And we only really use a fraction of it. And fathers are those who are constantly pushing us to experience more of what is rightfully ours. To, to, to reach more of our potential that is really in us. Think about this. As a Christian, what do you settle for? Because we all settle. Come on, let's be honest with ourselves now. Come on. It's not just me, I know. <laughs> I'm not alone. I know I'm not alone. We all settle. What do you settle for? There's not one of us that really experiences fully everything that God has for us. There's always more. And that's why God is always wanting us to experience more of what we have already experienced to some extent. What is rightfully ours, what is our inheritance. But we only sort of got our toe in the pool, or maybe ankle deep, or maybe if we're really radical, knee deep. But there's so much more. There's so much more that God has for us. And here's my point. Good fathers will always push their children not to settle for less than is rightfully theirs. Just like our Heavenly Father is constantly pushing us not to settle for less than what is rightfully ours. Does that make sense? Okay, um, then also, good fathers reflect and point to their father by sending their children to represent them. It says here, actually twice it refers to Christ. Remember who Christ was? He was the Son of God. The Father, the Son of the Father. Um, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be strengthened, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And then it says, sorry, let me just read that. <laughs> then it says, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Jesus Christ was sent by a loving Father, to love us the way the Father loves us. He was sent on a mission to go and represent the Father to us. You want to know what the Father's like? Look at Jesus. You want to know what the Father loves like? Look at Jesus. And here's the scary thing. It was a dangerous mission. It was a deadly 
mission. Good fathers are not afraid to send their children on dangerous missions. Good fathers don't just wrap their kids. Now, obviously, be age-appropriate, please. <laughs> but this life is dangerous. The world is broken. Good fathers are not fathers that make sure that their children never suffer. Good fathers are fathers who teach their children to suffer well. They're going to suffer. Hello? Life is suffering. It involves suffering. In a broken, sinful world, people will suffer. And they'll either suffer well and become better, or they'll suffer badly and become worse. You see, Jesus did not suffer so that we wouldn't suffer. He suffered so that when we suffer, we become more like him. Tim Keller says that all the time, and I so agree with him. If we want to be good fathers, we need to send our children on a mission. And by definition, in a broken world, that mission is not going to be a safe mission. And we should be okay with that. You see, the father didn't send his son on a safe and easy mission. He sent him on a very dangerous mission to go and represent him. God the Father sends us into the world. And we should send our children into the world in order to go and represent. Even when it's not safe. And here's one of the best places. Remember I said... Good fathers reflect and point to the Father. Here's one of the best, clearest places in this text where we as fathers have to point beyond ourselves to the Father. Because as fathers, we have amazing capacity to love our children. And God places us as fathers in a position where our children's hearts are so wide open to, the, to, to, to us that, that, that we can give them love that very few, if anyone else in their lives, can give them. Um, so we can really love our children, and that love can make a massive difference. I always think of you know, the contrast between Oprah Winfrey and Rosie O'Donnell, two American talk show hosts. And um, the big difference between them, both of them very talented, both very gifted women. Um, but Oprah was way ahead of, of Rosie O'Donnell. And, and the main reason, if you ask her, is my dad loved me. He told me I can do anything, and I believed him. Whereas Rosie O'Donnell, you know, she's one of the stats who grew up fatherless. And she never knew to go and get from the father what her father didn't give her. And she had all the talent. She's a very talented woman, very gifted woman. But lots of troubles, lots of problems. Here's where we need to point beyond ourselves as earthly fathers. Notice, it says in the text that you may have the strength to comprehend, to grasp with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. And the engineers in the crowd are all going like, ooh, you know, Hang on, there's four dimensions, you know. <laughs> we live in a three-dimensional, that's the point. We live in a three-dimensional world. And we can give, as human beings, three-dimensional life to one another. The problem is we have a four-dimensional hole in our hearts. And the only one that can give a four-dimensional love is God. 
the Father. He can give a love that has a dimension beyond the natural, beyond what anyone else can give. He can give a supernatural love to fulfill a supernatural need inside of us. And he's the only one that can do that. See, as, as an earthly father, I can love my children as much as I can. And I can love them a lot. And it can make a massive difference in their life. But even the best, the most love that I can give them won't be enough. Because, you see, God has placed eternity in our hearts. He's placed a four-dimensional hole in our hearts that only His four-dimensional love can fulfill. And ultimately, I'm going to say, if my children say, well, Dad, you know, thanks for loving me so much, I'm going to say, I'm glad you're enjoying it, but the best I can give you is not good enough. Ultimately, I can only, as a father, I can only point you to the Father. You're going to have to go, go to Him directly and get the love that you really need that even I cannot give you. And you see, there, there are so many people. I mean, we all need love. We all need to be loved. We were designed for that. We can try and deny it. We can try and, um, you know, fight it. But we all need love. And there are so many people running around in this world trying to find love. And they're trying to fill their hearts that emptiness, that loneliness, that brokenness in their hearts with three-dimensional human love, that'll never fill it. You cannot fill a four-dimensional hole with a three-dimensional love. You cannot. It's impossible. And in the end, they, they give themselves to people who abuse them and break them even more in search of fulfillment of a legitimate need, not knowing that no one that they're asking it from will be able to give it to them, only the Father. And give it to them. Then, good fathers like the father, uh, they reflect and point to the father by giving more than their children know to ask. Um, notice what it says in verse 20. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power, uh, to the power that's at work in us. Now, obviously, God the Father is the ultimate of that. The ultimate one who has more to give than we are even able to ask. We can, we can never ask too much of God. We can never even ask for everything that God is capable of giving us. We cannot even imagine it. It's too big for us. Okay? But even as earthly fathers, we have more to give to our children than they know to ask and that means, as earthly fathers, we shouldn't wait for our, we shouldn't give our children only what they ask of us. Right? Does it make sense? We must give them more than they ask for. We must give them even the things that they don't know to ask of us. But that is even more so to the ultimate true of God the Father. He always, He doesn't only give us what we ask for, He gives us more than we ask for. He gives us what we would have asked for if we knew what he knew. That's what he gives us. He gives us more than what we ask for. And the ultimate example of this is him giving himself, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The greatest gift that God has to give us is himself. And the greatest gift that we as earthly fathers have to give to our children is ourselves. 
More so than the stuff that we can give. More so than the provision that we can make. More so than the opportunities and the education and whatever else there is. The greatest thing that we can give as earthly fathers is ourselves. Just like the heavenly father, the greatest thing he gives to us is himself. You know, there are, there are so many fathers who, um, who, who don't give themselves to their children. They're never there. They give themselves to all kinds of other things. And then they try and make up for it by giving all kinds of lavish presents and gifts and money and opportunities and education and all kinds of stuff. And those children feel cheated. Those children often do not do well in life. Because what they need more than the stuff the father can give is the father himself. In fact, the stuff only really means something in the context of a real relationship with the father. You know, what the father gives only really means something if the father also gives himself. And we as earthly fathers need to remember that. The biggest gift that we have to give is ourselves. That's the biggest gift that, that God also gives to us. He gives himself to us. And then finally... God doesn't only give himself to us. Notice it says, it talks about the power of the Spirit in our inner being. It talks about Christ dwelling us, us in faith. And then it talks about all the fullness of God, uh, the Father. In other words, the Father doesn't just give himself. He does more than give himself. He also gives his Son and his Spirit. And not only that, he gives us a family. God is the one who puts the lonely into families it says uh, three different places. Let me just um, highlight it in the text. If you can just bring up the text there. Uh, it says that we may know with all the saints, that we may comprehend with all the saints. In other words, he places us in the family of the saints, of all the saints. Um, it, it talks about the power at work in us. Not the power at work in me, the power at work in us, corporately. And then finally, in, in the last verse, it talks about, uh, let me just read that last verse. Verse 21 says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. In the church. So three times it talks about, it, it refers to, implies the family of God. In other words, God gives us himself, God gives us his divine family, and then God gives us his earthly family. And look around you. Whereas your biological family looks a lot like you, most likely. Your spiritual family doesn't. And praise God for that. In other words, God knows that what children really need to flourish, in fact, good fathers in general know that what children really need to flourish is not just them, but a family. But not just the narrow nuclear biological family that we think of as modern people, but a much broader more diverse family of people who don't look like them, who don't think like them, who come from a different culture from them, who maybe even speak a different language from them, who are likely, who, 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 who they are not naturally likely to be friends with. I was speaking to someone just before the service and said, you know, family is so special. I, I, I don't know whether I would have chosen them as friends, you know, whether I would have hung out with them, but, you know, it's blessed to have family. And family is like that. You don't, you don't choose your family. But good fathers know that children to flourish need a family that's wider, bigger than the natural family. 
that contains people that are different from them. And God places us in such a family. He doesn't only give us himself. He gives us his divine family and his human family. Makes us part of his human family because that's what we need to flourish. I I said this um, last Sunday morning, but I... You know, I, I really, I think it bears repeating uh, tonight. Uh, I had a guy say, um, the man who, who doesn't go to church shoots himself in the foot, shoots his children in the leg, and shoots his grandchildren in the heart. Because we need this. We need this family, this diverse family of people who are different from us. We need this, all of us. And good fathers provide this, just like the father provides this. You know, there, there are two, in a sense, two ways to become part of a family. The one is to be born into the family, and the other one is to be adopted into the family. And the Bible actually uses both to describe how we become part of God's family, how God becomes our father. And the interesting thing about both of them is Sort of the common factor in both of them is um, it's not like you have to be good enough in order to be born. It's not in order, it's not, it's not like you have to perform <laughs> to be born, you know. It's not like you have to be good enough to be adopted. And I think that's part of the reason why God chose those metaphors. There's some of us who, who are tempted to think, I cannot become part of God's family. I cannot have God as my father unless I'm good enough. No, 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 no. no. You got it the wrong way around. He doesn't love you because you're perfect. He loves you because he's perfect. He doesn't love you because of what you have done. He loves you because of what he has done. He doesn't say, you can become part of my family if you're good enough. He says, become part of my family and I'll make you good enough. You will become like me. Don't worry, you will. I I will make sure. I will make you like me. I'm a good father. I know how to father. I even know how to discipline. I know. I know how to father you. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.